and his father, Stalin, never noticed. Um, and that was crazy. That's just crazy to me that that happened. But also, I forget if we if we ever mentioned this in the episode, but, or yeah, maybe maybe we like, uh, I forget if there's another audio drop or if someone mentioned it, but that's not the only time an entire, you know, uh, team um, died in a fucking plane right crash, there. which was the 1961, this was the United States figure skating team, just 10 years later, or 11 years later, died on uh, Sabina Flight 548 going from New York to Brussels, Belgium, uh, February 15th, 1961. 73 die in the crash of a Belgian Sabina jetliner while in the landing pattern for Brussels Airport. After twice circling the field, the plane, en route from New York, plunged to earth from a height of about 600 feet. The jet hit a grove of trees after narrowly missing three houses. One farmer was struck and killed by wreckage. Another gravely injured. The 11 crew members and 61 passengers all perished. Aboard the doomed craft on their way to Prague for international competitions were the 18 members of America's figure skating team. They included Mrs. Maribel Vincent Owen, nine times a skating champion, and on this trip as coach for her two daughters, both of whom were champions as well. The transocean flight had been made without any mechanical trouble. Eyewitnesses said the plane just seemed to disintegrate and plunge to earth, bursting into flames. The plane crashed on approach to Idlewild International Airport in Brussels, uh, killing everyone aboard. Um, so, man. Horrible. Uh, Horrible. Fucking crazy um, and awful. And, uh, yeah, just one of those uh, didn't really have anything to add to that, uh, but just uh, a really horrible and terrible uh, thing that happened to two different full fucking teams of, uh, you know, hockey players in one case and figure skaters in the other. Um, so I don't recall yeah. discussing this at all in our conversation. I well, think there was, was there an Tony audio Gil- drop? No, Tony Gilroy brought it up. That's... And, and I, I had a drop in there, mm. but there was very little coverage about the Russian uh, hockey team but you're right. Tony Gilroy did mention it. Maybe I meant so to. It, it maybe was it, Tony who. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was curious because Tony brought it up. Um, I must have accidentally he, put my put he, my reminder Tony, in episode seven. Tony mentioned it very offhandedly, and it took me probably like my third or fourth pass with the edit of the Tony Gilroy episode to be like, wait, what? What did he just like casually? Yeah, I'm like, like offhandedly mention, and then I started googling around. And I was like. Oh, this is a thing that actually existed. You know, part of us read some of uh, of Anton's ability to mind control his skaters and mold them to his will had kind of like very KGB-esque uh, ability to get his desired reaction. You know, <laughs> we're just kind of curious about, honestly, how those characters' decisions were made. Like that Anton is from the Central Sports Club, the Army of Moscow. Like, <laughs> what was your, your ability to th- know that? Well, I, I, the Army, and the, I, it must come from, it must come from fact. In fact, I believe that doesn't Stalin's son, uh, doesn't he, doesn't the entire hockey team, it's an Army hockey team, and don't they crash? And- Do you know, after the entire National Soviet hockey team was killed in an airplane crash in 1950, Stalin's son Vasily, the manager of the team, covered up the disaster and replaced everyone on the team to avoid his father's wrath. Stalin never noticed. I think the Army was the central sports academy for most of the Soviet. I think the Army, yes. women's and men's, so uh, I think it was probably a super legit. I'd probably looked up some other coaches and probably, and this is again, pre-internet, you know, so. 
yeah, like the Russian hockey team was wiped out and uh, uh, Joseph Stalin's son, to to not um, irk his father, just had them replaced and never mentioned it and his father never noticed. Yeah, craziness. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So I don't know if that, uh, that addenda or addendum belongs in episode seven or not, but uh, anyway, cross that off the list. Um, moving on to episode eight. We've got a perfect episode, folks. Flawless. Not a single thing to correct in episode eight. Thank you very much. Uh, in episode nine, uh, this is one I'm, I've been waiting to get off my chest. Um, 26 minutes in, uh, we're talking about the, uh, the this is the, the scene in the, in the nightclub, uh, dancing and taking tequila shots, and we have this uh, lengthy discussion of whether the um, you know moisture on Kate's face is uh, are, uh, teardrops oh, or or yeah. tequila, tequila that it splattered on her face. Um, and uh, at, at, during, at one point during this discussion, I I broke into a very very brief melody, uh, singing the words "teardrops on the dance floor." I kind of like that theory that she's just openly. <laughs> Because to be fair, <laughs> if you're drinking this much tequila, absolutely ben, bursting oh my into God. tears for no reason. Ben, look, 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 look. It is. It's streaming she, down. It's from her eye. It's, it's oh my God. It's coming down her eye before she's it's had the shot go back. It's true. That she's like probably sobbed openly. Wait, there's like literally one. father. <laughs> and that you know, then she's like, "Whatever, we're just gonna dance." Like, and oh Doug my is god, like, what? He's like, "I'm gonna go to the bathroom and do some more lines of coke." <laughs> like, she's out there crying, and he comes back, and he's like, "You're crying? Let's just have more tequilas." Oh I mean, it's god. totally possible she's trying. She's crying from getting tequila splashed in her eye. Yeah, it's burn. It's, it's possible that that, that she possible. literally just doused her own eyeballs with tequila. But it's also <laughs> equally possible. And plausible that she <laughs> is crying, crying teardrops on the dance floor, uh, which I don't know if anyone uh, clocked at the time, but that was a uh, a reference to a phenomenal song, one of my favorites of all time, the Womack, Womack and Womack song Teardrops, uh, off their 1988 album Conscience. Again, folks, those exact words, teardrops on the dance floor, are never actually sung in the song. The actual line from the song is, footsteps on the dance floor, remind me, baby, of you, teardrops in my eyes, next time I'll be true. Um, so I was kind of trying to, to get away with one there, because um, I just love the song so much, and the idea of, you know, uh, Kate crying <laughs> while dancing in the nightclub. Um, smashed off tequila shots, uh, which is very funny to me. But I don't, I, I can't, I can't 
get away with that one. Uh, so that's a correction. I'd also like to add a correction, which, uh, Ben, you've gone too far ahead. <clears throat> this yeah. one is we discussed it a lot, and it was kind of brought up by Tony Gilroy when we talked about it that he didn't believe the point we were making was correct. And the more I have watched the scene, I started to recognize something that happened throughout this podcast that when we watch a scene over and over and over slowly frame by frame, Zabruder tape, trying to find Mm. out what really happened. It happens. The scene between Lori Pekarovsky and the elevator when they first meet in the hotel. Thank you. Yeah, this is what accountability looks like, folks. In a high performance team, accountability matters as much as anything else people do on the job, because it means that every single member of the team has made a personal commitment to meet or exceed the goals of the organization. It's not a bullet point on our job description or our resume. It's a mentality embodied by every member of a high performance team. And in this type of cultural environment, people never stop asking themselves, what else can I be doing to help the team accomplish its mission? You're right. I, re- I, tra- enters, I forgot about this. Yeah. She enters the elevator and says, going down. They're on level five. Yeah. And Doug is in the elevator. Which could be a double entendre. Yeah. Could be. Absolutely. It's all there for the take-in. And she goes, going down. And he kind of says, yeah, you've convinced me. And You talked me into it. Cut, yeah, you've talked me into it. And it cuts away from that scene uh, to the lobby. And that's where we see them like joyously like laughing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that scene sequence read like, how could they possibly be like that joyously laughing? It's not that long an elevator. It's ride. not that five floors. And they're yeah. exploding with like chemistry. Which yeah, they're on each me, other's arms. Yeah, which to me read like they stopped the elevator, went to a room, smashed, and yeah. then went back downstairs. Is how an Olympic I read quickie it. they call it an Olympic quickie, and I read it because Kate says to Doug, "I thought you were going back to take a nap," yeah. and he says, "I wasn't tired," and like all of that read like how much time is elapsed between mm-hmm. going down. This lobby sequence where she's like, you've been gone for a period of time. And so when I first saw this scene, I read it immediately as if going down the entendres there that, oh, we're going to go smash. But the more I watched it, the more I realized, no, this sequence is actually taking place over actual mere seconds. Like that elevator ride, maybe 45 seconds. And then they go to the lobby and Kate's confused because Doug's coming out of the building when he said he was going up into the building and that's where the confusion. So when we surmised that Lori Pekarowski was coming back for seconds later in the film, stand corrected. She's going for her first serving. And the double tap <sighs> is not the a double, double tap. tap that was not it's to be. Single, it's a single tap. Um, and that's justice that's justice for Tony right there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and 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 Let's be real. It, our imaginations get the best of all of us <laughs> at times. Yeah. So, you know, um, and I'm not saying it didn't happen because there's part of me, the conspiracy theorist, re-cutting edge, that believes something happened in that elevator. That like there's no way they could have formed that much of a laughter a chemistry. Bond. Yeah, it was like, certainly a bond. They're they're like touching each other and like really loving each other's company. So I'm not saying definitively it's not possible, but I don't think that was the intention of the sequence. Yeah. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and, and take the L on this one. As as much as it pains me to say goodbye, it's a single tap. It's a single to say tap. fond farewell, the double tap. It's uh, uh it's, it's not it's, it's simply not canon. It's the um, right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. And I also want to shout out Sheesh once again um, because um, she in fact uh, did message me and 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 took me to task big time for uh, in her words reading absurdly absurdly that Doug <laughs> fucked Lori during nap time uh, and she told me that she was so glad that Tony set me straight um, yep. so she I am duly chastened your address, I... send your address you get another <laughs> prize in the mail yeah, uh, <laughs> correction won't be, yeah we won't be doxing sheesh on the pod but perhaps we'll offline and and, um, and we can arrange some yep. uh, you know, just compensation for her efforts. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad. This is what accountability <laughs> looks like. Um, and I thank you for, no problem. for holding me uh, to that high standard. So wait, uh, one last loose end to wrap up about the teardrops blunder. Uh, in order to rectify that in my own head, I just wanted to say uh, that um, the song that I should have referenced there and sung uh, in that moment uh, instead of Teardrops by Womack and Womack was Dancing with Tears in My Eyes by Ultravox of course fucking forget that uh classic song one of my favorites the second single off their 1984 album lament dancing with tears in my eyes would have been perfect would have been amazing i could have absolutely crushed that one out of the park but instead i bungled the bag what if the best thing you had is somebody that you want back what if the moment you walked away you wish you turned around what if you got So uh, anyway, Chris, I'm sure you can drop some of that in to make me feel better. Um, <laughs> episode 10 and episode 11, I have no corrections or addenda to offer. So I think those are, uh, you know, right. stone cold, uh, perfect pods. Um, We're on to 12. Episode 12 is the one where we do some corrections, uh, you know, some, a round of, of previous corrections where we mentioned the Shaq Rookie Year mix-up. 
Uh, cousin corrects his DB Sweeney uh, nuke Lelouch crash casting huge uh, mistake i still yep. apologize for that yeah but yeah but you did the right thing uh you corrected it very quickly uh and then i uh mentioned the the senpai thing um we have a new correction however in episode 12 which is that at the twenty three thirty mark i say i'm talking about the the russian pairs skater uh smilkov um and kind of her her vibe and her look uh and how she kind of reminds me of Domino uh, from the great Tony Scott film. And then I say, quote, she probably knows her way around a Walther PP7, which kind of makes me think of like Domino, uh, the, the Tony Scott film. Uh, I think she she could definitely, you know, she probably knows her, her way around a, uh, you know, Walther PP7. Yes, I, uh, I see that entirely. Sorry, um, PPK, not PP7. What is PP7? Uh, now that is not... The name of the real firearm. The actual firearm is the Walther PPK, which is a <laughs> semi-automatic pistol developed by the German arms manufacturer Carl Walther GmbH Sportwaffen and first released in 1931. The Walther PPK. Let's check it out. Walther PP was designed in 1929. It stands for police pistol, and it was made for police units, but it was also adopted by the German army in World War II for officers. It was a very popular handgun, uh, predominantly in 32 ACP, but also made in 380. But in 1931, the PPK was introduced. It was a shortened version of the PP and made for undercover police agents and those in plain clothes. But it was also adopted by the German army as a military sidearm for officers. But what really led the PPK to fame, at least here in the U.S., was James Bond. Bond. James Bond. And he carried the PPK in many of the movies. Originally starting out with a Beretta Model 418, which was in 25 ACP, they upped the game with 380. Now, my original PPK I had for years, and I gave it to my father. He was in a car wreck, and the gun was in the glove box and it was completely crushed. And just recently I was at a gun shop and I picked up another PPK because this is a legendary pistol. The PP7 does in fact exist in the fictional universe of the Nintendo 64 game GoldenEye 007. This makes it sense is, why you would have brought it up. Which is why <laughs> I... This, uh, hence this my, is a video game that is an enormous blind spot for Ben Crump. Yeah, uh, I may have lied a few hours. Not the first uh, time it's come up on the podcast, folks. Yep. Yeah, honestly, GoldenEye N64. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and honestly, Chris, if we cannot afford to sandwich the music from GoldenEye, mm. just use the music used during the scene where... D.B. Sweeney's character, Doug, is leaving the weird dock area because it's identical. When he's, <laughs> when he's leaving that construction job or like when he's working at the factory, that music may as well have been from GoldenEye. So just uh, wedge that in right here so people can hear it again and go, that does sound like GoldenEye.
did the game tonight, Lord. Not if I see you first. Damn, yeah, Mike. Mike. Damn it, I see my wife. Yes, that's a great, great call. Uh, great shout out. But, uh, but yeah, in fact, um, according to the GoldenEye fandom wiki page, uh, during development, the PP7 uh, was called the Walther PPK after its real-world counterpart, but the name was presumably changed for legal reasons. So, you know, I, I think as far as errors go, that's a pretty uh, understandable and forgivable one on my part, um, but nevertheless, it does require a correction because I am a professional journalist. Um, moving on. Episode 13. We have uh, the at the 12.35 mark, um, when discussing the window yearn that, that Kate uh, performs in, in, uh, in, in the Chateau in Albertville, uh, I make a little connection to With Honors, uh, and then I very quick, I don't know if anyone caught this, but I name drop Thayer Hall, um as uh, as like oh yeah maybe she could be looking out of a window of thayer hall because it's uh the name of an actual harvard uh dormitory but uh thayer hall folks that's a first year dorm and as we know the characters in with honors are all seniors living in some sort of off-campus house <laughs> so not that doesn't not make any Monty. sense he's in the van outside <laughs> <laughs> Monty, of course is not inside the house <laughs> Until much later in the film. Um, Like a uh, dog. He's out there like a dog. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Thayer Hall was a a nonsense uh, reference right there. So just wanted to correct that uh, in case anyone was, you know, hung up about that. Uh, uh, Episode 14, moving along here. At 545, um, I said the line, remember when Hale was in this movie? Which, of course, is a callback to the Mozart versus heavy metal music fight at three in the morning as Hale was trying to sleep before his big business meeting. Wow, remember when Hale was in this film? That feels like a millennia ago. Um, Wrong. Remember when Hale was in this movie? That feels like a millennia ago. Which is, of course, incorrect. Millennia is the plural of millennium. So Thank what you. I should have said is that feels like a millennium Anium. ago. Or I could have said that feels like millennia ago. Either one would have right. been correct. The only incorrect version of that is a millennia. So, And I <sighs> apologize for not forcing a willennium Will Smith <laughs> reference. reference into that reference. It 
And that is on me, folks. It was there for the taking. I could have said, uh, it feels like a millennium ago. And then Chris cuts to, ha ha, <laughs> Oh my God. It's like you're literally reaching into my brain and pulling out the things that are right at the tip of my tongue. It's almost like we're cousins. <laughs> so- Welcome to the new millennium. Excuse me, millennium. Ha 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 ha! Okay, we're at episode fifteen. Uh, almost there, folks. But this is a wow. big one. This is actually a very big one. This is pro- this oh, is- we're gonna do this. Yeah, we're, we're gonna do this. this. Huh? We have to do this. Come on now. We gotta do it. Come um, on. This is probably the correction. Our biggest. This is probably yep. the correction that compelled me. Uh, in my heart, I said that I'm gonna have to do an entire corrections <laughs> episode just for this one correction. Um, but I love this correction. This is a great correction because, um, well, it reveals a few things. So let me set the stage here. This was, of course, episode 15, our interview with the one and only D.B. Sweeney. Um, we, all know, we all know the moment, This folks. was, yeah. Well, do we? I don't know if we do because someone, a certain producer-editor of this podcast, uh, worked his magic um, uh. to cover up this error um, because he loves me. He wants me to feel good and uh, feel smart, um, and he wants to give me little treats uh, when he when he edits our, our podcast episodes. So, at the three forty mark of uh, episode fifteen, um, I ask DB, "Quote: Is Lonesome Dove also the series that featured a one Brett the Hitman Hart?" Mm. Now. What happens next in the episode is that Chris cuts in, uh, in his classic style, um, some archival audio um, of Bret Hart, the you know sound of Bret Hart's voice um, in Lonesome Dove. I'm just remembering, is, is Lonesome Dove also the series that featured uh, a one Bret the Hitman Hart? Two against one. Well, I heard you were in trouble. Who says I'm in trouble? I don't need no help. We had Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones and Bill okay. Houston and Frederick Forrest and, and my dearly departed great friend Robert Urich. And then it cuts back to D.B. Sweeney, uh, and D.B. is naming other actors that were in Lonesome Dove. So it sounded like, yes, I was correct. What an incredible thing for Ben to know in reference, right? How does he know about Lonesome Dove, that you know, early 90s, uh, you know, miniseries, and wow, Brett the Hitman Hart, the WWF wrestler, the intercontinental intercontinental and WWF champion, uh, you know, Brett the Hitman Hart was in this series. Wow, that's so awesome. That's so great. What a fun bit of trivia. Wrong. It's not how Wrong, it went, folks. Folks, <laughs> what was cut from that episode, left on the cutting room floor, was, in fact, D.B. Sweeney correcting me and saying, uh, no, 
No, I don't think so. Brett the Hitman Heart no, doesn't ring a bell. I'm just remembering, is, is Lonesome Dove also the series that featured uh, a one Brett the Hitman Heart? Did you ever work oh. with him? No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't in it. But we had Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones and Billy oh, okay. Houston, and Frederick Forrest, and and my dearly departed great friend Robert Urich. And then he goes on to say, but what you know, who they who was in it was so and so. So that's because, wow, this really feels so good to get off my chest. <laughs> DB Sweeney starred in Lonesome Dove. The 1989 American epic Western adventure television miniseries. Yep, there it is. Directed by Simon Wincher and co-starring other such great actors as Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones, Danny Glover, Diane Lane. Um, Now, Lonesome Dove, the miniseries, was a four-part adaptation of the 1985 novel of the same name by Larry McMurtry. Lonesome Dove, the miniseries, is different and distinct from Lonesome Dove, the series. Lonesome Dove, the series, was a television series that debuted in first-run syndication on September 26, 1994, and ran for two seasons, 43 episodes in total, until May 1996. It served as a continuation of the story of Lonesome Dove, the miniseries, and it starred... Scott Berstow, Eric McCormack, yes, the guy from Will and Grace, and a one, Brett the Hitman Hart, in exactly two episodes uh, toward the end of season one, playing a character called Luther Root. Warm enough for you? I'm getting there. You know them as must have ice in your veins. Pal, this ain't cold. Cold's when your spit freezes before it hits the ground. I remember that. So... Thank you, Chris. Once and for all, thank you for being, uh, first of all, a a magician of an audio engineer and audio editor, um, and uh, for trying to cover up my mistake and help me get away with this little crime. But I'm afraid (laughs) that journalistic honor and integrity and ethics simply compel me to correct this for the record. I was wrong. Bret Hart was never in a show with D.B. Sweeney, as much as I wish that were true. Um, but I am very grateful that we were able to, um, you know, slip that little bit of uh, archival into the episode. And I'm even more grateful now for the opportunity to clear all this up once and for all. This, this is question. what accountability looks like, folks. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> wow. All right. Um... Now, this isn't really a correction, but just to kind of update our listeners, um, also in this episode around the 3050 mark, we touch on the WILG sweatshirt. Uh, and DB said, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. This isn't a correction of DB because, you know, he clearly, you know, didn't, he wasn't confirming anything, but he was like, oh, I'm not sure, but it might have been a, a radio station, which makes sense. WILG for mm-hmm. letters starting in the uh, letter W, call sign of a radio station. But guys, I researched the hell out of this one, and I can't find a radio station in Minnesota or anywhere in the United States that has the call sign initials WILG. So this one is still a mystery. It's a real Uh, mystery because, you know, we fell on the the line that the WILG made the most sense for workers injury law and advocacy group. Yeah, but But let's be honest. I love that theory, but like, do you actually believe it? 
I don't know. The other group that it could be is the Women's Independent Living Group, which I think Doug, this ladies' man, somehow potentially meeting somebody that's part of the WILG and then just like on the way out grabs the wrong sweater is also plausible to me. I'm not saying he's in the group, but I think he slept with somebody that may have been in the group and got that sweater on the way out while being like, oh, it's cold outside. I'm taking your sweater while she's asleep. You know, that's another uh, I prefer the workers advocacy because he is a guy who got his brain traumatized by. Yes. Number 17. They do, West they do German work Unger. on CDE issues. And, and then cases. and then he goes to like a bunch of construction sites and has absolutely no protections. So he mm-hmm. might have a, a real stake in it. There's no definitive yeah. answer here. But I think it's worth noting that there are other possibilities floating yeah. out there. I love the other, I love all the theories, but there isn't there. I can't say there's one that's really super convincing to me. This now point. I got to bring up one more that I think is like an important one to discuss because it was a bit of a a touch point in several of our follow up conversations with people. Understandably so, because a lot of people were saying, "Did Doug commit stolen valor?" Like, mm. I, I think it's worth, like, it's worth correcting in the Having sense the conversation. Of, mm. ha- we, have the conversation. We got to have this conversation. Listen, this is the time to do it, guys. The most important part that we can at least state is that did Doug commit Stolen Valor? Technically, no, because the book Stolen Valor came out in 1998, which is where mm. the term Stolen Valor came from. It oh, was boy, a book that, that uh, discussed the unfortunate scenario where people would wear Vietnam uh, medals and, and garb in order to portray themselves and get sometimes entitlements, benefits and awards. Mm. And this book by BG Burkett was a self published book. He was a Vietnam veteran and an investigative journalist. He eventually uh, wins the Colby award for this in 2000 for writing it. And the interesting thing is that the stolen valor act of 2005 is signed into law by President George W. Bush on December 20th, 2006, which makes it a crime to pose as uh, someone who had service. So the Stolen Valor Act did not pass until 2005. The term Stolen Valor didn't exist in the consciousness of the United States in any official capacity until 1998. So I don't Mm. think Doug, a man in Minnesota, who's trying to hide what he's up to has any knowledge that what he mm. is doing is potentially bad. Like I yeah. think he's, he's come up. I mean, with much the like the, possible... bo- the Bobby hole game worn sweater, yes. you know, it's not, he might not necessarily be aware that, you know, he's now that he's doing said, something wrong. that all said, technically he commits stolen valor. You just have to <laughs> acknowledge that, you know, I can, I can beat around the bush here. Yeah. Ignorance Tony Gilroy, not, if you are listening still, which who knows at this point, you and, probably gave up, but if you're listening, we got to just call a spade a spade. He committed <laughs> it. It's, uh, it's okay. He was, he meant we well by him. it. I don't yeah. think he, and I think he's told, I think he told Walt and did not expect Walt to turn around and tell everyone in the fucking town of Mayhorn. Because when he gets home, he's like, everyone's cheering him, being like, back from the Merchant Marines. And he's like, yeah. I just got off a bus. I expected two people to be here. I got 80 white guys with beards saying, speak up. What's he saying? Where's yeah. he been? What What does he say? Finger painting? Like, I don't think Doug intended to commit uh, what became a crime yes. in 2005 and yeah. what was acknowledged in 1998. But I will say... 
The facts are the facts. He claims to be part of the Merchant Marines, which is part of the U.S. Yeah. surface. And unfortunately, the character did, but I don't think it was meant in a bad way. I don't I think, think it was. In, I don't think intended. he intended. No, no there was no I, malice. I think it was a little lie that no. got away from him. And you know? I think, I think, yeah. at, which at is that, no defense, but no. That's and at what that at that time the stakes of in any way in middle America being perceived as potentially homosexual, the stakes were so high that I forgive him. He needed to, Yeah, he was trying right. to protect a lot of people in that scenario himself. Yeah. Included. It's a sign of, of, of the desperation that he was pushed to. Yes. In that he, was scenario. Pushed, yeah. he was pushed to do something that he knew was wrong, but he was, he self-hatred. We spoke to DB about this and I think that that was his, yes, uh, bone of contention was just that uh, whether Doug, his thing was Doug did not intend to um, lie or mislead anyone about serving in the military. A thousand yeah, percent. Yeah. No, Doug's intentions are pure. It DB is would argue that your your intentions are what's true. Yeah, and, and, I think, and Christian I think makes the, the argument that. Um, the facts are the facts. The yeah. Facts. Uh, my, my argument is if I'm reading what he did, technically it fits the term. However, yeah. the term didn't get popularized till later, so there's no way Doug could have known he was doing it. And, and nor, nor the is this spirit man, of the like, character, no, the spirit of the character was. Nor do I think yeah. anyone that created this film, wrote this film, acted this film yeah. in any way was trying to make Agreed. of people that do yeah. that. That said, Doug did it. <laughs> and, and I just needed to put that correction out there. That yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of backstory there. It's fascinating. Um, it is, and, and it's uh, a real philosophical conundrum, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the uh, you know this book was a self published book that brought light to something that nobody even knew was going on, and, and a real expose. You know, mm. I gotta say it's. Um, if you out there are trying to get attention and you're thinking about going the Stolen Valley route, don't. It is a crime as of 2005. Um, mm. Rightfully so. So, you know, um, yeah. don't do it. So, you know, I think I'm glad we could clear the air. Uh, totally understand it's a very serious subject and I decided to go right back into it. <laughs> but no. I admire I your to, commitment, though. You yeah. know, I'm like, I'm not letting myself or our listeners uh, sheesh. Off the hook. Sheesh, I hope you understand. Uh, this was for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was, yeah, yeah. This we don't dumb yeah. things down, okay? No. We yeah, that would be a, a disservice to our to our audience and our community. You can listen to Switch. 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 Switch.